You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. All right, this one's big. You ready for this? You ready for this? Founding chairman of Burson Marsteller, Harold Burson, goes on the record online. And people say, you know, newspapers are struggling. We should struggle as much as newspapers are struggling. You know, they're making 20% profit margins. Uh, sure, their circulation is going down some, but they're still raising their advertising prices. Uh, what is what the struggle is all about is, I think, a very legitimate one, and that is people no longer depend on a newspaper for breaking news. And welcome to another episode of On the Record Online. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, uh, then you know this is the place where we do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. I am the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation, and we have software, tools, and services that help organizations integrate the web into their marketing, communications, and public relations initiatives. Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Uh, Today we have a one-on-one interview with Harold Burson, the founding chairman of Burson Marsteller. Um, He is one of the most respected, um, certainly has the longest perspective and and vision over this um, industry or as much as anyone out there. Um, we talked for about 20 minutes. We talked about managing client expectations. We talked about the necessary skills uh, for PR practitioners entering the workforce today. And I asked him if he was starting his firm today, what his strategy would be as well. And we covered a lot of other ground. We talked about blogs and, and new technology, new media, that sort of thing. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. If you are not a subscriber of the show and you want to subscribe, you can do that by going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com and you'll have a number of different options for um, subscribing via RSS or through iTunes or Yahoo Podcasts or Podcast Alley or Odeo or Feed Demon or whatever your pleasure may be. Um, And there's also a tutorial there that explains to you how to subscribe to a podcast if you don't know how and you want to. What that means if you subscribe is that next time we do another episode and we upload it to our server, you'll receive it automatically. So you'll get upcoming episodes of the show as soon as 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 they are released. Um, I should also mention that this podcast is being recorded from Media Relations 2006 in New York City. Um, and uh, uh, this podcast runs about 20 minutes. The interview uh, in its entirety runs around 20 minutes, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we're going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. 
Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Harold Burson, founding chairman of Burson Marstower, was described as the century's most influential PR figure in a survey conducted by PR Week. He is the architect of the largest public relations agency in the world today. Uh, He has contributed to the public relations industry and the worldwide community as a member and leader of several organizations, among them presidential appointee to the Fine Arts Commission, chairman to the National Council on Economic Education, and chairman of the USIA Public Relations Advisory Committee. He has received numerous honors and awards, including uh, the Public Relations Society of America Gold Anvil Award and the Arthur W. Page Society Hall of Fame Award. He was named Public Relations Professional of the Year by Public Relations News in 1997 and 1989. I am truly honored to have him with me on this podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to start, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, where we're headed. Uh, You obviously have a tremendous perspective over this industry. Uh, You've probably hired and fired a lot of people in your life. I I mean, I'm curious to know, where do you see us headed in terms of who's going to inherit the PR throne? You have to define what public relations is. And I think one of the problems today is that the broad umbrella of public relations is being equated with marketing publicity, marketing support. Uh, Public relations, I think, is that discipline which affects, which is used to affect public opinion to motivate people to a certain course of action. Uh, And basically, I don't think there's been much change in what the objective of what we do is. The big changes have come in the new media that we are able to use to affect that change. Now, you started a blog on your 85th birthday, and there was a lot of discussion about it on the blogosphere. What have you learned from blogging? I learned that people respond to things they're interested in. Uh, I think, again, blogging is an extension of of a media vehicle. It's a new media vehicle. Uh, People have written letters. People have written books. Uh, this is an instantaneous way, so to speak, to get a message out to a lot of people. Uh, basically, the only change is that uh, it's very economical to do, so therefore people can do it without having any cost of entry to do it, so to speak, and more people are, are doing it. Uh, it's not the blog itself, it's really the content, the substance. And some of the blogs will be substantive and others, most of them are junk. If you were in a class of students, public relations students at a university, and they asked you for advice on what they should do to get ready for the workplace, what would you tell them? I would tell them the first thing, 
that they should do is learn to write. And then the second thing I would tell them is read. Read everything that you possibly can get your hands on that you feel is going to be brought up in your career, in your daily activities, so that you can speak at least intelligently for about three minutes on almost any subject that comes up. I find that today's generation uh, do not read, most of them do not write, and I think that's a big failing and probably the biggest difference in the people from my generation who came into public relations and those who are coming into public relations now. So you're saying it's difficult to find literacy in today's job market. Right, exactly. Exactly. What about, I mean, do they need to be tech savvy? Is that important? Well, if you're going to work for a, te a company that involves technology, certainly. Uh, you've got to be bio savvy if you're going to work for a uh, company that's interested in, uh, in biotechnology. Uh, just like in days gone by, if you worked for a chemical company, you should know something about chemistry. But you wouldn't say across the board that it's important to have an understanding of technology because you can use that technology to communicate for clients in various businesses. Well, you have to know how, to, you have to have a basic understanding of technology if you want to use a computer. So you have to be equipped to do that. In my generation, you had to know how to use a typewriter. Uh, so that's one level. And then the other level is, if you're going to be, if you're going to set yourself up as a specialist in technology, let's say information services technology, you've got to know something about it. And it, it's something that where you can not only put the words together, but you understand what you're doing and you're able to contribute to the, to the conversation. What do you think about the fact that many of the top PR bloggers have a fairly limited pe pedigree in terms of the types of clients they've represented and the organizations that they've held positions at. Uh, do you see a shift in the balance of power taking place? I don't know how you define power. Well, do I, I find out that they're getting the big clients? No, of course not. Uh, do I find that they are getting readership from among the leading PR professionals? I would say probably not. I don't know who those people are, for example. I'm a s small sample, of course. Uh, but it's just so easy to do. And perhaps I would have to assume that these people are good, interesting writers, and if they have a following, people are interested in following, following them. They read what they say. I am not sure who those people are who do the following. Let's, let's talk a little bit about managing client, client relationships. I uh, held a position at Rogers and Cowan years ago, and I remember one of the guys I worked with saying, um, the way you manage expectations is by um, telling people what you're going to do, doing it, and telling them what you've done. And I wonder, I mean, you've been doing this for 50 years. You headed up the largest agency in the world. I imagine managing client expectations has been key to your success. What words of wisdom can you give 
anyone listening to this podcast about how to effectively manage expectations? Well, the best way to manage expectations is for the client to be part of the process that sets up the expectation. And not only part of the process that sets up the expectation, but part of the team that implements a program that's going to reach the expectation. Uh, it's not a case of us and them. It's a case of we together. And the client, best client relationships, the most effective client relationships, are when the two parties to the agreement or to the project are working in tandem and you can't tell at the end who really has got, who really deserves the credit. So Opportunity. The best way that I know to uh, manage expectations, to have the client be part of the expectation setting process and delivery process. When, when, you, when you think about maybe benchmarking um, uh, client expectations over the years, um, you've been representing major companies for you know, decades. Given the chronology of your career, have you seen clients get more or less realistic about their expectations? I think perhaps they are more realistic today and are not expecting as much. And also, I think they're more realistic in recognizing that it's not communications that delivers favorable opinions. It's really behavior. Behavior is the starting point, and then communications goes next. My good old friend, who's been gone for 10, 12 years now, Denny Griswold, said it just as well as anybody. Public relations is doing good and getting credit for it. And most people think that all that's involved is getting credit for it, when really the doing good is what causes people to respond favorably. Let's role play a situation here. Let's say I'm somebody that works for you, and you're, manage, you're managing, overseeing this person's uh, uh, efforts with an account, and it's a very important account. And I come to you and I say, you know, I've got this client, you know, we're doing great work for them. Look at all we've gotten for them. They want the journal. They will not stop talking about the journal. And I feel like I'm being measured against my ability to get, this, to get the journal. I mean, what, what type of counsel would you give to me in that position? The first, I'd want to know if they have done anything or anything has changed to the point where they deserve to be in the journal. Uh, and then, if, if they have not, you have to be forthright and say, this is not a journal story. Uh, then you'd say, okay, well, where is it a story? And you go from there and you try and figure out what the, what the alternatives are. But what if the client just won't accept it, and they're they're not a journal story, but they're they're a good account, and obviously you know you want to keep the business, well, but they just won't you know, stop on this. In, in, in the real world, with the kind of clients we work for, uh, it never 
comes out on the basis of, you know, if you don't get this journal story, you're fired. It's just, that's not the real world. I think probably it happens with smaller clients who have one shot at the journal in a, in a whole lifetime, uh, but it doesn't happen with major sophisticated clients. So we see currently in politics um, relationships being very important in the, with the current administration. Um, and certainly relationships are very important in the business of public relations. And I wonder, at the end of the day, what's more important? Is it the deliverables? Is it the results? Or is it the client relationship? It's a combination of the two. They, what I've always felt, all I wanted from my relationship with a client was that if we were not delivering to a client's satisfaction, that I would be informed six, 60 days or so, or 90 days or so, by the client and given the opportunity to fix what the client thought was wrong. And I felt that my responsibility as heading a large public relations firm is that if we did not have people on that client business who were capable of delivering what the client wanted, assuming what the client wanted is realistic, we had other people who could do it and could make them available in very quick time to, to deliver what the client wanted. Given that uh, there seems to be so much turmoil in the mainstream media business, the newspapers seem to be struggling, um, uh, TV seems to be concerned about the distribution of uh, video over the internet. And, you know, I noticed, just like in a town like Los Angeles, uh, where uh, so many um, duopolies now have the same assignment editor picking stories for two stations, there seems to be less opportunity from a media relations standpoint. And I wonder, do you see that uh, trend continuing? I think there are more and more opportunities for, for media outlets. I don't think it's shrinking. I think it's increasing every day. And people say, you know, newspapers are struggling. We should struggle as much as newspapers are struggling. You know, they're making 20% profit margins. Uh, sure, their circulation is going down some, but they're still raising their advertising prices. Uh, what, is, what the struggle is all about is, I think, a very legitimate one. And that is, people no longer depend on a newspaper for breaking news. So what are we going to put in our newspaper that attracts people to buying the newspaper, and equally important, that attracts advertisers to pay for advertising space so that we can have an economically viable business plan? And I think the newspapers are a very, uh, some of them are very responsive. If you look at the New York Times this morning, on the front page, there is not a single news story on that front page. The only thing that comes closest to a news story is they have a picture of Phil Mickelson because he won the Masters. But there's, if you look at that paper, there is not a breaking news story on the front page of the New York Times. 
And that is the newspaper of the future, as far as I'm concerned. So everyone's talking about consumer-generated media. That's the buzzword of the day. Uh, do you think tools like websites and blogs and even podcasts are effective media channels for corporate communicators? Somebody's got to put it all together. People are not going to go to 40 different sites to, to get their news. Somebody's got to put it all together. And it, you know, it may not be a newspaper. It may be somebody whom we you know, don't know right now, can't identify, who will come up with a format, with a delivery system that puts news together in a way that people like it. And my own feeling is that the point will soon come, and when I say soon, I would say within the next five to seven years, that uh, these big presses that the newspapers have are going to be obsolete because you're going to have the equivalent of, of a press in your uh, workroom at home, and you're going to get probably a tabloid-sized sheet newspaper printed right in your home. Do you think uh, the exercise of media relations is a fairly exclusive exercise? We put out these press releases, and they're directed at the media, and we try to communicate through the media to their audiences, but now that the internet exists as a channel to communicate directly with constituents, do you think or do you see PR moving in that direction? I see public relations people taking advantage of every opportunity there is to get, to disseminate information for their clients. So you're gonna, even if there are few newspapers, people are gonna be after those few newspapers. If there are a, a, a websites that people uh, you know that it has a readership, people, PR people are going to go after those website producers. Uh, I think that if you want a parallel, I think that it was almost as large a change in the early 20s as it is today, the early 1920s as it is today, when two new media came on that had just as much impact on communications of that time as the web has had today. And that one of them was radio. Before the 1920s, there was no such thing as radio. Actually, radio news didn't come into being until, you know, well into the 30s. And then the other, which probably has had more impact on culture than any other single medium and will continue to, is the motion picture. There's uh, so much talk about transparency, increased transparency, and I mean, you actually were the original transparency uh, PR guy when you brought 60 Minutes in um, after the Tylenol uh, uh, tampering scandal. Um, do you buy into the notion of opening up the curtain in a time of crisis? I think that if it, it applies in some circumstances. It does not apply in others. The reason it worked in the Tylenol thing is we knew that the manufacturer was not responsible for those deaths. And basically, the manufacturer, which was a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, uh, was a victim. It was a victim of somebody who took their packages off the shelves, penetrated the packages, in a very skillful way with uh, a lethal poison, and then the packages were sold. And it was a story that we felt had to be told to the American people so they could, 
understand it. The big problem in crises is that it takes quite a while, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, before you have all the facts. And I don't think you should try to be tran totally transparent until you know exactly what the facts are, because you're getting so many points of view. And once you put out a point of view, and it doesn't turn out to be correct, you have the problem of digging yourself out of the hole. So there's sometimes when you just can't really say much more than, I don't know. Final question. Um, as they say in the variety, uh, if you were to hang a shingle today, if you were to start in public relations today, knowing what you know, what would your strategy be? Well, facetiously, I probably wouldn't hang that strategy out. I'd, I'd probably hang the shingle out and say I'm an investment banker. But uh, my stra strategy, if I was starting over again today, I don't feel that I could do anything differently than what I did 60 years ago when I came back from the Army in August of 1946. And I did have a client who was actually supporting me. And I said I was in the public relations business, and I differentiated myself from everybody else by saying that I was going to specialize in, in what then were, uh, we called industrial accounts. Today we call it business-to-business -business accounts. And I think that would work as well today as it, as it did back then. Specialization. Differentiation. Differentiation. I think that, and, and to be differentiated, you do have to specialize. Uh, and that differentiation can be in many fields. Probably the most successful example of it I know is Gershon Kext, who became a specialist in financial transactions. And I think today has one of the most successful public relations businesses in the world. And that's basically what he does. But, and businessmen all over the world know that his firm is in that kind of business. Howard Rubenstein is another one. A spokesperson, if you have a problem in New York City and you want to get the attention of the media, Howard Rubenstein is a really top person to do that. Uh, on the other hand, we feel, and so do a number of our competitors, a need for a different type of client, and that is the global corporation. And that was my vision when we went into our business, or became my vision probably 10 years after I was in business, that I sort of foresaw the need for a company that could serve a large corporation, a broad variety of public relations requirements in different parts of the world. And that was the model for Burson Marstell, and that's the model that's been followed by at least a dozen other fairly large PR firms today. Harold, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. You're very it. welcome. 
You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 